Good morning, everyone. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Samuel as we continue our journey through this awesome two books here. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. 1 Samuel chapter 2, 22. And I was just thinking this morning as we were worshiping, and um, one thing that come and kept, something kept coming back to my heart is, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, I just over and over and over, Lord, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. Because in the world that we live in, in the days we live in, the things that happening happens, uh, even whether it's inside of the church or out in the world or your workplace, wherever it is, sometimes, you know, you feel at times that life, if you're not careful, can get the best of you. And sometimes it can challenge you and challenge your faith and put you in a position where you're crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, help my unbelief. Give me greater faith. Give me the strength to endure. Uh, give me the ability to persevere. Uh, through the dark times and the hard times and uh, through the challenging times. Help me not to fall or fail or, or um, lose heart, uh, but instead grant me, uh, grant me the faith to be able to persevere in a way that would honor you with everything that happens in this life. And this is really, you know, um, will be our focus today and focusing on this chapter starting in uh, verse 22 is where we left off. Let's go ahead and read it together. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know my sons, for it is not good. It's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we are so enriched by your word, so thankful that we can come together as the body of Christ. And there's so many people in other countries who have to live a sheltered existence in order to worship. Many living underground and running for their lives, Lord, as they continue to persevere in their love for you. Lord, open our hearts and reawaken us to the reality of all that we have in this country. Lord, that we have a place of worship, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're not running for our lives, Lord, that we have this beautiful gift of being able to come together and worship the Lord and hear your word preached in truth. Bless our time together. Open the hearts of your people today. Give me the ability to preach your word, Lord, in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. To understand the sin of Eli as we approach this chapter, one must first understand the sins of his sons. 
And as you know, as we've been progressing through uh, this whole story of Hannah and Penina and Eli, and then it ventures on to says that Eli was very, very old. And he had heard everything his sons did to all of Israel and how they laid with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the point where he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. You make the Lord's people sin. And this is why it's so important to understand the bedrock of this whole situation. The Bible says that Eli's sons were worthless men. Worthless men. Scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. In verses 13 to 17, it records how they violated the sacrificial procedure prescribed by Moses in Leviticus 7.31 and Deuteronomy 18.3. Yet, they were serving as priests under their father Eli. The narrator offers a summary evaluation. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord. As if that were not enough, they also committed immorality with the female attendants at the tabernacle. When Eli heard what was going on, he rebuked them, to some degree that is, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. For the Bible says that the Lord desired to put them to death. At that time, Eli was the priestly authority and a judge. And according to the law of Moses, Eli, functioning in this particular role, was actually obligated by the Mosaic law to have his son stoned, or at least exiled. But he did neither. He failed to correct his sons. Therefore, he was guilty of honoring his sons above the Lord. Two sins in which Eli was guilty. Number one, he had violated the prescribed worship of the Lord. And number two, he honored his sons above God. At first it was not clear whether one of these sins was more significant than the other, but God later clarified the issue with a cryptic statement to Samuel. For I have told him, that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. He did not correct them. He did not restrain them. This should be a sobering reminder to the fathers this morning the dangers of honoring our children above the Lord. How easy it is to do to, to if we're not careful to honor family members above Christ, above his church. We can put them first and, and you know, we, we could commit sins that we're not always necessarily conscious of. And this is why this morning this story should really strike home, strike home to me as a father. And that this would be a, a, a also a two-edged sword for me as well because not just a father, but also a pastor. 
You know, because we look at the worship of God, the worship of the Lord. Obviously, we're not in the days of Moses, nor in the days of Eli, but we are in the New Testament era. But God holds the worship, the worship that He has prescribed to us in a very high manner. And He doesn't take it lightly when we trample upon the worship of God. It's really a fourfold judgment upon Eli and his sons. We can see first, Eli's indifferent. His indifferent, passive attitude towards his sons for committing great sins against God. Indifferent, his passivity. Second, his dynastic sin. In other words, his family continuing in ministry, giving his sons prominent roles as priests because they were his children, opposed to what would honor God. And nothing angers God like blasphemous, blasphemous leadership. Okay? Especially when they are to be conducting worship according to God's prescribed way. And number three, taking advantage of their power to seduce innocent women and feed their covetous bellies. And fourth, the Bible says in Exodus 20, you're to honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Even Ephesians 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. We see both the responsibilities of fathers and children, but also, we must also look at this as well as authority in general. When I look at this whole situation, this whole event that has taken place in the life of Eli and his vile sons, to me it looks more like a personality cult that we see today. Hophni and Phinehas were really priests before the altar of Jehovah. Think about that for just one moment, what they were called on to do, what their assignment was, what their obligation was to God. That they literally were priests before the altar of Jehovah. I mean, just when I said that, I felt the hairs on my arms raise up. This reality of what they were called and commanded to do And they knew what their job responsibilities were. In James 4, 8, I like how James puts it to us today. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's almost as if he had these two in mind when he says this as a warning to us today. And this is the problem of dynastic motivation. Where you put your family before God, even in the sense of raising someone up in power or prestige that should not even should not even be there. They were the priest of the most high. And obviously, if you've read the story, they used their reputation and titles to make to commit great crimes against God and the people. So much so in verse 24, he says, you make the Lord's people to sin. I mean, if it isn't bad enough that you yourself are committing these great crimes against God, but you're causing other people to sin 
as well. The ladies that would come there and do temple services, they were laying with these women. They were seducing these women. They were deceiving these women. And this is why I said it looks like a cult to me. It looks like a personality cult. That these two, his, Eli's two sons, were using their power, you know, not only to just be covetous, but also to seduce women. And you see this a lot in today's American church. When you look out across the plains of America and you see these huge establishments, these huge churches, and you see these personalities that are drawing people in by the thousands. Then you hear these atrocities that take place and you see these, 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 these systems of men just crumble before our eyes because it was these men who were putting themselves in power and authority that should have not have been there. And then they use this authority, they use their fame, they use their personalities to take advantage of other people. The Bible gives us strict, strict commands in 1 Timothy 5.22. It says, lay hands suddenly or too quickly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. I think it's a great verse because I think this is exactly what happened. At least at some level. Because Eli obviously laid his hands on his sons without using discretion or discernment, put them in a place of prominence, put them in a place of power. He himself became partakers even in their sin. Big shot celebrities that take advantage of other people generally come into these types of situations for easy gain, power to seduce others and deceive others for gain. I like what Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I now even tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Hophni and Phinehas were gluttons. According to the law of Moses, the worship at the altar was required to present to the priest the fat of the sacrificed animal along with the breast and the shoulder. As we read in Leviticus chapter 7, 29-34, the fat was to be burned on the altar as an offering to Jehovah. The breast and shoulder became the portion of the priest. Hophni and Phinehas, not content with the share assigned to them, sent a servant to interrupt the preparation of the sacrificial meal and to seize a further portion. Interesting. They also sinned with the women at the door of the tabernacle. I, mean, I think wherever you find covetousness and greed, you always find lust, right? Notice that. Anytime you see someone that is in it for the wrong reasons, or is in it as power hungry, you usually find that they're gluttons, and also, obviously, there's usually sexual immorality as well. Apparently, these women were evidently in some way connected with the service of the tabernacle. Possibly, they assisted in the liturgical portion of sanctuary worship. You could compare that with Psalm 68, 11. 
The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of female singers. Here is so often the world story. Immorality follows on unbelief. Now Eli was very old and he had heard everything his sons did to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Think about that for just a moment. First of all, we know that Eli wasn't being the father he should have been. We know that. We know ultimately his judgment and death came by way of the very fact that he was not fathering his children the way he should. He was raising them up, elevating them up above the Lord. And he was hearing from the people that these sins that his kids were committing. They're hearing it from all the people. You know, it, was just, it wasn't just the fact that they were committing adultery, which isn't vile enough, but taking advantage of women who were there to do the work for the Lord. It was like these women were coming there looking for an adulterous relationship or being sexually immoral, but they were being taken advantage of. They seemed, these ladies seemed to have good intentions, but they were destroyed by greed-infested men. So much so... Or Eli says, no, my sons. For it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people sin. And this could be the very point that he's trying to make. These could be the very ones that he's causing to sin. And that's usually the case when you have leadership such as this. When you've exalted people in a position that shouldn't be there and they're using their positional status to harm and hurt other people, eventually it'll cause the people to sin as well. They say that your church is only as healthy as its pulpit. Believe that or not. If there's an issues that the leadership's willing to deal with, that ultimately will be like gangrene. It'll spread throughout the congregation. Listen, it's better to have a holy pastor in a small congregation than a vile, lustful, arrogant, self-righteous, personality-driven man with a congregation of 3,000. Because there's going to come a day and an hour when that person has to stand before God. All this will come to an end. This will all be over very shortly and very quickly. Our lives are like a vapor. It'll all come to an end. There's going to come a day and an hour we all have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. It will end. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet forfeits his own soul? We could be a sellout. We could go that route and be a complete sellout and probably fill this place. Or you can stay strong and determined and faithful in what God has called you to do with a clean conscience. Sleep well at night, knowing full well that your worship isn't defiled and you're causing other people to sin. And verse 25 says, says, If one man sins against another, God will judge him. 
But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? We know full well who intercedes for us. And I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, there's not any one of us in this room that, that doesn't deserve to be in hell. We've all committed great crimes against God. We were born sinful, haters of God. And we practiced sin up until the point where the Lord Christ had met us and saved us and transformed us and was glorified by our salvation. Does that mean that we live this perfect life now and that we're never going to have any problems? Absolutely not. But we have an advocate. The Bible says that Christ intercedes for us, not the world, but for his people. Thank God. Right? I mean, seriously. Take a moment and just reflect upon that reality. That we deserve to be in hell under the full torment of God for all eternity. But because of Christ who absorbed the wrath of God upon himself in our place was able to release us freely into his glorious grace. We are no longer under condemnation. Even when we sin. That's very difficult for me to even say. But it's true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the Bible says, Nevertheless, they did not heed nor listen to their father. There's another translation that says, Or the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. What do we take by by this verse? What, What does this verse communicate to us? Here it seems to indicate and communicate, if I'm reading it correctly, that they did not heed their father's voice. Why? Because the Lord did not allow them to because he desired to kill them. Think about that for a minute. You get, you get, such, you get so far from the Lord, so turned over from God, that you become so debased, so defiled, so depraved, such an enemy of the cross, that the Lord ultimately gives you over to such an extent that you no longer can hear the voice of God. So much so that the Lord deafens you so he can slaughter you. That's terrifying to me. The Lord desired to kill them. In John 12, chapter 12, verse 40, Christ has said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. It's a good verse to look because we see that, yes, God does harden hearts, deaf and ears allows men to be blind. But then on the other end, they won't come to the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. They love evil, so they remain in the darkness. But for us today, we don't want to fool around with God. And you don't want to fool around with God's people. You know, it's interesting uh, if you read about the great plagues and the great fire that came to London. 
if you're familiar with these, um, this plague that came on, on the back of rats and just decimated all of London with the plague. And then just when you thought that was coming to an end, God sent a great fire and literally burned the entirety of London down. And from reading this history, there's a great book out there. I don't recall it from the top of my head. God's Terrible Voice in the City. The guy's last name is Vincent. If you want to get the book, he, he says one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons God brought judgment was because of the fact that the voice of the preachers were no longer being hearkened to and no longer being listened to and were being mocked. Don't mess with God's people. It's a very dangerous place to be. Remember one time, and this is no, just so you guys know, I'm just telling you a story so you can kind of get the gist of this. I hate putting myself in the narrative because I don't want you to think that I'm anything special because you guys all know me by now that I'm not. But I remember uh, every week we would go to the abortion mill in New Jersey. It was a slaughterhouse. And I saw a lot of really crazy things happen near the blood of children being slaughtered. Talk about demonic activity. Um, just unreal. Um, it was a very difficult ministry, by the way. But I remember one day I said, I'm going to catch the abortionist and his vile wife before they get into the slaughterhouse. And I'm going to give them the word of God. And I remember I got there early and I saw them pull up and I saw them getting out of their out of their vehicle. And I pulled my big old half mile hailer. This is just huge amp. It can be heard from a half a mile away. That's why it's called a half mile hailer. Um, and I just started preaching to him. You need to repent. You need to turn from your 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 your, your bloody hands and, and 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 turn to Christ. That God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. I mean, I laid it on pretty hard, and I believe if if I'm not mistaken, if I've got the if I've got the time frame right, it was about a month later that that abortionist died suddenly for no apparent reason. Him and his wife mocked mocked the word of God, mocked me on that sidewalk, laughed, gave me the finger, thought it was funny. Thought I was a clown out there entertaining everybody on the sidewalk. Two two weeks later to a month, the man's dead and gone. This is not a case where, you know, people use a don't mess with God's anointed type of situation. But what I am saying is you need to be really careful when you mock the people of God. Because God takes it very seriously. Very seriously. You know, when when it said that God desired to kill them, this is exactly what happened. A man of God came to Eli and revealed the judgment that would come upon Eli's sons for these actions. He says, the sign that the judgment was divine was included. What happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, at least that's the way I pronounce those names, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. And then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 15, when Eli died at 98 years old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And in 1 Samuel 4, 17, it says, So the messenger answered and said, Israel, 
This messenger came from the battle, said to Eli, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he had made mention of the ark of God. Not the two sons, by the way. Take note of this. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. Now when he heard about his sons, it's probably almost a relief. But when he heard about the ark of God, the holiness of God, that God had been tampered with. He was in such traumatic shock that he fell off his seat backwards and broke his neck and died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. And then in verse 19, it carries this forward. It says, Now his Eli's daughter-in-law, Finus's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news of the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying that the glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. You know, it's just interesting to me to see that the major emphasis isn't on Eli's vile brats, but on the ark of the Lord. But as you know, Eli suffered as well with his own life. We should teach us something this morning. You know, Eli had told his sons, listen, I heard everything. But the sad thing is, Eli, you heard everything, but you did nothing. It's too late. Your little rebuke doesn't work now. For your sons are seasoned sinners. It's too late. You should have done something when you had a chance. When they were younger, you should have foresaw this. You should have respect unto the Lord. You should have honored the Lord. You should have saw fit whether to put them in ministry or not. But you did because you were more concerned about your dynasty than you were about the glory of God. In other words, you were, you were selfish. And now you've all paid dearly for it and have been destroyed because of it. Why do you do such things? Well, why do you think they do such things? Because you've allowed it. You've accommodated their sin. Do we accommodate our children's sin? Do we accommodate that? A lot of you young people here don't have children yet. This still, this still is directed towards you as well. This is a, a, a warning to you that you can heed this warning and realize it's a warning to me today as well that there's great responsibility and accountability on how we raise our children Amen. and I have failed so many times 
more times than I can count. I have failed, failed, and failed, and failed, and failed. But I have hope, you see. It's a continuation. It's a perseverance. It's a desire to please God, even when things don't always go your way. We don't want to exalt our children just because things aren't going your way. We don't want to let up and give up and turn to that route and accommodate sin and accommodate the sins of our children to such an extent where the Lord now is taken second to your children. The sad thing is they had a horrible relationship. They had a horrible relationship with the people that had a horrible reputation. Everything that it was was being said about them was coming from the people of God back to Eli. What did that make Eli feel like? In 1 Timothy 3, 7, it says that we need to be well thought of by outsiders. Do you realize the, the importance of having a good reputation? I'm not talking about idolatrous title idol. I'm talking about having a good reputation and integrity with other people. Being well thought of. It's in scripture. It's not something I'm just bringing at the top of my head. I'm saying this is what is required, not only of elders, but of the people of God. Do you realize that? What kind of reputation do you have with other people here in the church? With the people of God here? What kind of influence do you have here? Because we're all influencing people either in one direction or another. And most of the time we get so blinded by our own sin that all we can do is just think of ourselves and we don't even think of the reality and damage that we do to other people. We become so intoxicated with our own selfish desires that we forget that there's other people in the equation. Isn't that true? Eli was destroyed in his family. Not only his children were destroyed, his future generations also were cursed. Think about it. Ichabod, for the glory has departed from Israel. His grandson is called Ichabod. That's what they named this child. Do you realize if you, if you, if you study this out, um, you can definitely see that this curse did travel throughout the Old Testament. 1 Timothy 3, 4, what does it tell us? That we must manage our own household well. But let me just say one thing real quick to that. 1 Timothy 3, 4 says that we must manage, talking about an elder, he must manage his own household well. But just remember, before you guys think you can get off easy and say, oh, this is just for the elders, for the pastors, thank God, this, this verse isn't speaking to me. It is speaking to you. The word of God is, in its application speaks to all of us. But I also like to point to you one portion of this verse where it says manage. How many of you have ever managed a place of business before? Managed at a job, okay? Manager does what? He manages people, right? He manages people, he corrects people, he works with people, he drives to bring honor, obviously, what? To the CEO. But this whole point and this whole direction is got to be understood in this way that it is a management of our household. It's not perfection of your household. Don't walk out of here today and go, man, I totally, I'm done. I'm an Eli of a man. If that's what you got from this message, you've gotten the wrong message. Because the reality is that we're all managing, right? Are you managing your house to the best of your ability for the glory of God? 
person isn't removed because their children are imperfect or faulty or the, or the mother and father fail. But it's the managing of our households. You know, the word manage actually means to train or govern like a horse. When you train a horse, it's not easy work. It's, in, it's incredibly taxing. But we must continue to manage our families with the hopes and the vision of Christ before us. Eli was on the whole a good man, but lacking in the moral and religious training of his family, he erred on the side of parental indulgence. And though he reprimanded them, his sons, yet from fear or laziness, he shrank from laying on them the restraints or subjecting them to discipline. Their gross delinquencies called for. In his judicial capacity, he, he winked at their flagrant acts of dishonesty and allowed them to make reckless intrusions on the law by which the most serious sins were inflicted both on the rights of the people and the laws of God. And if you notice a discernible pattern in the failings of fathers throughout Samuel, the Samuel narrative may indicate that the author intended to teach a lesson about the relationship between dynastic hopes, sons, and God. The lesson is this, honoring one's sons above God in the interest of preserving one's dynasty actually tends to end the dynasty and to cause great trouble for the nation. This problem, the sin of Eli, which is seen throughout the Samuel narrative, destroyed or damaged dynasties and brought disaster upon the nation. Just remember Eli. Remember Samuel. His two, Samuel's kids were rotten to the core. Think about David's household and his kids and what happened. You see this pattern throughout Scripture, the sin of Eli as it moved throughout the Old Testament. We see this continually repeating itself. All these men were primarily fathers. Three of these leaders lost their dynastic hopes, which makes one wonder what went wrong. Application for this morning, something that you guys can really consider uh, in, in reading over the story of Eli and his sons. And I'd like to give you two points to walk away with today. The first one is, would be for parents, would be to manage your own household well and keeping our children in control without losing our dignity. Jesus said in Luke 7.35, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Think about that for a moment. Wisdom is justified in your children. Don't tell me how great you are, what a great preacher you are, what a great minister you are, what a great missionary you are, how you know the Bible inside on all these things, and yet your children live like hoodlums. There is a connection there, believe it or not. We can't guarantee our children are going to serve and love God and obey Him and become Christians. We are not God. We don't convert anybody. But we must do our utmost to make sure our children have the right godly upbringing. Amen. And children, young people here, those of you who are maybe not married yet or the children in this, in this room, remember this, to honor your father and your mother, that your, your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. 
Remember Ephesians 6, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's the right thing to do. It doesn't always feel the best, but remember, it's the right thing to do. Take it very seriously this morning. And number two, we must have self-control. Eli's sons had no self-control. Eli had no self-control. I don't mean self-control in the sense where, you know, maybe personally on the things that he did at the temple or whatever, but he had no self-control on his kids. He didn't exercise any discipline or any correction, which would be the most laziest thing you could possibly do as a parent. No restraints. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I would just reach out to you today and appeal to you as a family of God that we need to repent of our sin towards God. Repent for our sins of, of, of careless parenting. Allowing our children to be involved in things that probably would even make Hophni and Finus blush. It's extremely important to the Lord that we all, including myself, capture our children for Christ before the world captures them we never get them back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning and thank you for the opportunity to highlight Eli's life and his sons, Lord. What a terrible, tragic way to end. And even here in Ichabod, for the Lord has departed Israel. May it be not so, Lord, that this would be a name that would be written upon this church or upon our homes, Lord. But we would ask today, Lord, that you would hear us from heaven, that you would rend the heavens, that you would grant us forgiveness and cleanse us of our sin. Help me, Lord, as a father, to do what's right in your eyes. Help me to repent of my laziness, Lord, towards my family, towards my children. Be glorified, Lord, and move in this small family here at 116, moving us closer to Christ. Lord, we want to honor you with our worship. We don't want you to be dishonored, Lord. We don't want to cause the people of God to sin. But we want to glorify your name this morning. Lord, we're thankful for what you have done. We're thankful that there now, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let us walk out of this place today, not with our heads down as failures, but as victorious in Christ, knowing full well that God's mercies are new every day. That we can start brand new today. And we thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.